Hi, everyone. It's Carrie from All the Social Ladies, and I've got an offer just for you. Social Fresh has a conference coming up in September in Tampa, Florida. Social Fresh 2015. It is where the world's leading social marketers get inspired, and I'm so excited to be recording this podcast live from there this September. I'd love to invite you to join me. So head on over to socialfreshconference.com and use the special code ATSL for 50 additional dollars off your admission. It's an amazing conference. I was there last year, and I hope you'll join me this year and help record some All the Social Ladies podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest and record one of your social ladies tips, it would be a great time to come on down. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kirpin. Now, Carrie Kirpin. This interview, I couldn't be happier to start and talk to Lindsay Signor, who is the director of social media for NBC Sports. She's also an NC State alum. She's keeping an eye on social media, social TV, and sports trends. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. You're such a fabulous social lady. And I'm going to start uh, with the question that I ask every social lady because we have a lot of young female listeners who want to know kind of how to become you, right? There's a whole aspirational aspect to this podcast. And so what I'd sure. love to hear is just the story of your career. Okay, sure. So when I was in college, um, instead of going and kind of taking some time abroad, like many of my friends and classmates, um, my ultimate goal was really to sort of, quote, study abroad in New York City. So um, I knew not a whole lot of what I wanted to do post-college. I was kind of one of those people. I had an idea of potentially working in entertainment. Um, but what I really wanted to do is, is move to New York and hope that uh, that would kind of guide me into a career that I would fall in love with, which I think a lot of people uh, tend to do, and some it works out and some it doesn't. Um, so I, after I graduated, um, I had saved a bunch of money from waiting tables. I moved to New York and was kind of like, okay, something will present itself to me. Um, prior to moving, I was working as an associate producer on documentary films, um, with a company in North Carolina. I really enjoyed doing that, knew it kind of wasn't my calling. Um, so I moved to New York in hopes that I could use some of the skills in production and producing to get into the entertainment industry in some capacity. Um, once I got to New York, I took, and this seems so archaic now, but I found like two internships on Craigslist um, to be a PA uh, for a few pilots that were shooting um, completely wow. unpaid, which now in hindsight was like, what What really was I doing? Because I certainly didn't <laughs> have a, a long, a long-term money plan. Okay, um, but you took a risk. I like it. Yeah, yeah, definitely took a risk. And I, I was completely blown away by, I thought I had saved all this money, but then you move to New York and you kind of do this first month's rent, last month's rent security, and like half my money was gone. So It was gone, yep. Yeah, Welcome it's, to it's New York. the nature of this this place. <laughs> but um, 
ended up taking these internships. It was great, but had um, a friend of a friend tell me about the NBC page program, um, which if you don't know, if you watch 30 Rock, Kenneth on 30 Rock is a page. It's essentially a sort of a, a foot in the door at NBC. It's, it's pretty hard to get into. Um, a lot of what you're doing is doing studio tours, um, and then part of what you're doing is actually applying for assignments within departments within NBC. So um, I was kind of like, sure, that sounds awesome. I don't really know much about it, but I'll apply. Um, at the time, I had, I had a fair amount of experience, and so I wasn't really sure if I was kind of taking a step back um, or forward because, you know, giving tours wasn't really something I wanted to do with a college degree, but right. um, it was something that I think in hindsight, looking back, it was absolutely, it's very hard to get into um, anything, any kind of real job at in New York without kind of having some kind of connection. So I ended up getting into the PAGE program, which was amazing. Um, my first assignment as a PAGE was with the NBC Sports Corporate Communications Group. So okay. it was basically PR. Um, they did press releases and PR with talent for NBC Sports at the time. Uh, they had just acquired the rights to Sunday Night Football for the first time in um, wow. several, I think, like a decade. Um, so it was my first assignment. I was only there for 12 weeks, but I loved it. Um, loved working for my boss at the time and, and was hopeful that at some point a position would open up in that group. Um, and were, so you I sports, were you a sports fan? Yeah, so I played sports. I think my – I played sports growing up. I played club sports in college. Um I enjoyed the subject matter, and I think yep. for me, did I, you know, a lot of my friends would volunteer when, you know, ESPN College Game Day would come to NC State to do college football games, and I was never quite that fanatical. I didn't leave college thinking, you know what, I really, really want to work in sports, but I think once this opportunity sort of came about, I realized, you know what, I, I could actually read about sports, professional sports, and college sports a lot um, and still uh, kind of be entertained by that being what I would have to do every day. So wow. it sort of, it sort of felt better than I think I could have imagined. Cause I don't think I really knew what was the thing that was going to make me really excited every day to come to work. Right. Um, so having a little taste of it for that 12 weeks, I was like, you know what, this is, this stuff is fun and sports are fun and talent um, sports talent are a lot of times former athletes. So they can be a little bit less uh, kind of diva-like. They've, they've yes. had to work really hard to get to where they are. So yes. all of the talent were really fun. Um, so it was just kind of like this, I could do this. Um, so for the PAGE program, you're in there for a year total if you want. You could also be in the program for two weeks and leave for a job. Um, so I really just kept very much in touch with this group um, knowing that at that time the Beijing Olympics was coming down the pike and, and I knew that ultimately they were going to need help um, with that Olympics. And so I just kept in touch with them and they created this year-long position that I actually was actually existing when I was a page. They had created this year-long position for a coordinator and I knew that her year would be up around the time my page year was up. So I essentially stocked this job knowing that they were going to have to replace it um, within a year. So that was sort of the beginnings of me working in sports. Um, I ended up working the Beijing Olympics was my first uh, Olympics. Rio will be my fifth. So I've been 
with NBC Sports pretty much my entire um, New York career. Amazing. and it, and it was awesome. Yeah, I was doing a lot of stuff. My my boss at the time, Mike McCarley, who's now the president at Golf Channel, um, he took over not just PR, but marketing and promotion. So on-air promotion, um, marketing, and then the communications group, which I had been a part of. And so I, as sort of the lowest person on the totem pole, really got to dip my toe into all anything he was doing. Um, and around 2009, I remember saying to him, you know, we're not doing anything on Facebook. And that was kind of the the first thing. It's like, why aren't we taking advantage as a communications department, um, this thing, Facebook, for Sunday Night Football, which is at the time was had been the number one show in primetime, still is now. Um, like, why aren't we using this to talk to people about football? And so the stars kind of aligned with that. He was very for it. Our producer of Sunday Night Football, Fred Gidelli, was all about it. He's very open to pitching new ideas. So the beginnings of sort of the NBC Sports social media team started in 2009 with Sunday Night Football on Facebook and Twitter. And then as that sort of progressed, there were three people involved in that. One person is actually a current member of my team. The other was a a Sunday Night Football PA who um, was sort of designated as the sideline producer who would push out a bunch of photos in real time. Mm. Um, And it was really awesome. I mean, for all of us, it wasn't our only job. For all of us, it was sort of, we'll do this social thing, but you kind of have to do everything else, which I think is um, pretty common for a lot of folks who are kind of starting social departments. Um, And then in 2011, we were acquired by Comcast, And with that came the Golf Channel, uh, Regional Sports Networks, and Versus, which is now the NBC Sports Network. And I was ready. I had been working um, as a coordinator for a couple of years. I was really ready to kind of transition my role. I didn't know if that would be at NBC Sports. I wasn't really sure what, um, what opportunities were really there for me, but I wanted to do something more. And at that time... Um, we had a new chairman and everything just really changed with the acquisition. And so I started pitching the value of social as a business need and that as we are acquiring all these things, we are now the home for hockey for both broadcast and cable with the acquisition. We need a strategy here. We can't just do these sort of one-off Facebook pages and call it a social strategy. So at that point, everything sort of shifted and I started pitching this concept of a team and a strategy and a department that would manage social media for the entire sports group. Um, And it kind of just took off from there. Um, In 2011, I um, became the the head of social media for the group. And then my team has sort of built gradually since then. Um, So I think a lot of stars aligned well for me, but I also think with timing, the acquisition and just there was a, a new sort of eyeball on social at the right time. That's kind of how I jumped a little bit from what I had been doing in PR to kind of where I'm at now. So that is a really incredible story. And I heard a couple of different themes in terms of career advice. There's two things 
that you you said that I thought were really interesting. And so I would love to see if you you agree in the themes that I've heard. Um, the first thing was that when you took the page program, it was essentially like you were taking a step down and giving tours um, right. in order for the kind of the long game of your career. And is that something yep. that you recommend and would would look out for? How, how would you recommend if, if there's an opportunity that's, you know, might be a step down, but could be great in the long run? How would you recommend evaluating that? Yeah, I think it's it's important to I think it's really important to make sure you're evaluating all of your options. I think it's very especially in the social media world, it's very easy to kind of get caught up in kind of watching other people's rapid growth. You know, you look at um at some of the CEOs of some of the biggest social networks in the world who are not even 30. Um, and it's really easy to fall into this, you know, where am I in this, yep. in this long term? But for me, I think it was always important to take those risks early on um, as long as they made sense. I think I, I actually got really good advice from a colleague who he, he wanted to be an agent at the end of the day. He wanted to represent athletes and he had all these sort of things. He worked for um, William Morris and, and the mailroom and, and that's obviously an agency and he worked for an agent and then he kind of went rogue a little bit and took this risk um, for working for, I think at, at like a Dick sporting goods at the corporate level and it had sports in there and he wanted to be a sports agent, but it was a sort of a, like a legal role that yep. he says in hindsight, he looked back and he was like, this really just did not make any sense. And it was not really worth the risk. Um, mm -hmm. He can spin it because it's a sports company, but I think part of it is not being too above any kind of um, expertise that you can gain from a role. And I think that's really, really important. And I think oftentimes in social it gets lost because sometimes a great idea can launch you into this crazy, you know, startup world that's wonderful, but that's not going to always happen for everyone. And so I think it's really important to assess the experience that you'll get first and foremost versus, you know, what is this going to do for me from a, from a value standpoint or from getting paid or title early in your career? Because I think once you kind of get to a point where, you're somewhat established, you sort of hit the ground running after your first entry-level position, you're not going to want to take those risks. And honestly, as you go, get older and maybe you want to get married or have kids, like those it's harder risks to take risks. Are, it's yeah. a lot harder to do. And, it, and, and if you get married or have children, then that becomes something that you're doing that affects others. Yes. So I think the perfect time is when you're younger, early in your career, if it feels right in your gut and you feel like you can take something from it, even if it's, you know, six months to a year, I think it's absolutely worth pursuing um, as long as you can kind of justify how it's helping you in your ultimate goal. So basically take the risks, make sure they make sense for you and take them early. Yeah, if you can. I think that's that's great. Yep. Love it. And I loved what you said about stalking the job. Is it finding, <laughs> yeah. is it is it not just looking at what openings there are but look, thinking about what's right for you? Like would you if there was something you really wanted to do, would you even if there wasn't an opening, you would suggest stalking that? I and do like, think watch? so. Yeah, and I think it's polite stalking. I think yes. um all of us probably get 10,000 emails in our inboxes that are kind of cold calls. And I think we've all sort of dealt with, you know, all right, this person's reached out to me like four times this week. I haven't gotten back, you know, are they going to get the hint kind of thing. Right. But I think the, what is wonderful to me are informationals. Um, I think if you have, and you should go for it. I, I think you, if you, 
depending on if you're actually working for a company, you may want to navigate this. But if you're not and you want to reach out to the CMO of a company and ask for an informational, people absolutely love talking about themselves. And so if all you really want to do is understand ultimately what they do, how they got to where they are, um, and get some career advice, most people, if they have the time, will actually entertain that. Um, the good thing for you is once you make that connection, it's not a bad thing to follow up and check in once in a while. Um, but I do think it, with the appropriate amount of kind of being persistent, um, though that's a really easy way that I've found that works um, in kind of getting your foot in the door, making it seem like maybe it's not actually about you. It's about them and what their job is doing. You can learn a little bit from these folks and also make a connection where ultimately down the road, that connection could end up getting you a job that you really, really wanted. I absolutely love this career advice, Lindsay. And what I loved is that that you tapped into the truest of truths, which is that people love talking about themselves. So any (laughs) opportunity you can give them to do so and form a relationship with them is really key. And so I, I love that. And so now let's switch gears a little to NBC Sports. One of the things that you said that I really liked was you said, you know, in 2009, you're talking about we need to be on Facebook and you start posting, you build this team um, and they were posting kind of real time content of what was happening um, in sports. Right. And so you guys were really early into that sort of need to be real time, which is not not something that all of, uh, you know, every brand I speak to, you know, talks about real time content in in the context of the Oreo movement. But in real life, in sports, uh, you guys are real time all the time. So talk to me a little bit about how NBC Sports runs their social and kind of just the overarching approach that you take, why you're there and what you're looking to do in social media? Sure. So it's really, really important. Real time is one of the biggest pieces of broadcast sports. I think um, it's the one area where there's so much changing in the television landscape. Um, DVR, Netflix, Hulu, all these things are really, really rocking the boat. The one thing that does remain consistent is that most people are not DVRing live sports. Correct. Because of a lot of spoilers on social media and news um, coming out, even in the paper of score updates, it would be really difficult to DVR the Super Bowl and not have, or you can completely stay off of the internet, but have, you'd have to really go into a black hole somewhere because it's such a gigantic event. Um, People are going to be talking about the halftime show. People are going to be talking about the score, what's happened. And so sports has, live sports have really been, an area that, you know, is shifting on, in how you can consume it. But in reality, right now, you just miss it. You would just right. miss it. And I mean, how you access it, how you access it might change. You might watch it from your mobile phone to make sure exactly. that you get it live. However, it is DVR proof. I would agree. 100%. Um, so for us, real time is, is one piece to our larger puzzle. Part of it is also driving buzz and tune in. So we are a television network. Our biggest goal is to have the biggest audience actually watching this either on television or live streaming app. Um, And so we really sort of take our social media strategy twofold, and it kind of rolls across every sport. Um, It could be the Super Bowl. It could be an NHL game that we have during the regular season. We sort of approach it the same way in that leading up to whatever the game or event is, we want to drive as much buzz as possible. A lot of that are basic tactics. So 
what is a really engaging way to reach as many people as possible on as many platforms as possible. So something that works on Facebook may not work on Twitter. Something that works on Snapchat may not work on Tumblr. But ideally, we come up with a content plan and how we're going to roll that out with the ultimate goal that we get the most people to tune in as possible. Um, that's a little bit hard to prove. Nielsen okay. and Social Guide putting, um, having their partnership has helped us understand from Twitter how many people are, are actually tweeting about events and things like that. But it's still a little bit hard to prove. The yep. one thing that com- it comes down to, though, with social is that you have that one-to-one relationship. There's no other way for us to talk to people that directly. Um, we run, obviously, promos on air. We run banners on our site. We can look at impressions and click-throughs and ratings and all of these things. But we don't have a lot of feedback in terms of what people like and what they don't like. So this weekend, we're launching NASCAR and NBC for the first time since 2005. Today, we had um, a Periscope Q&A with Dale Earnhardt Jr. We had a Facebook Q&A earlier with him. So that's all, all of these sort of social in nature tactics are really to drive buzz to this weekend. Right. Um, once we actually get to the NASCAR race, then our strategy shifts a little bit. And we have this real-time um, plan where you hope that what we're doing is complementing the broadcast. But if we're not, if someone's not watching, what we also want to do is provide updates in real time as to what's going on. Ideally, those, those updates entice you to tune in. But in, at the same time, we sort of want to make sure if you're a NASCAR fan that's watching, if you're a NASCAR fan that isn't watching, or you're not a NASCAR fan, the content that you're getting can kind of serve all three of those folks um, with the result that, you know what, maybe next week at our next race, more people will tune in because they liked what we did on social. Right. So, it, and it really does, like, that kind of strategy, that twofold strategy is really something we apply from, you know, the smallest event we have all the way to the two weeks of the Olympics. Um, and I think it works for us because you want to continue to try to prove kind of our business goals for all of these things, which could be monetization or tune-in or traffic. Um but at the end of the day, it, if, if we do it properly, we're able to continue to engage as well and have more fun with our followers. We listen to a lot of what they're responding to as well. Um, we don't typically repeat the same things if we just right. they're just not working. Um, but for the most part, it's sort of that pre-marketing buzz push and then the in-game push is kind of how we approach it um, kind of from the day-to-day perspective. Is there also a post strategy or is it generally like like pre, during, and post or is it just pre and during? Really? So post is definitely something where we can leverage a lot of our um, digital video rights. So yeah. this goes back to, you know, depending on the rights that we have for video on demand on our site, um, we want to also leverage the buzz coming out of something. So uh, Katy Perry and the Halftime Show was, was great. There was buzz. But then this like left shark phenomenon kind of came out of nowhere on Monday yep. morning. I think it yep. didn't wasn't one of those that surfaced really during the game, which is interesting. It was after I think people were watching highlights and looking at what was being written. It was like, what was up with that shark? So those are the kinds of things where even the Super Bowl is done. 
once the game is over, tune in is out the window. We, we got who we got, right. but it would be kind of a miss for us to not jump back on board with that kind of conversation, which has really ultimately nothing to do with sports whatsoever. Um, but to remain in the conversation post is, is definitely important as well from a very, you know, baseline level though, if we have um, a game or a race on, on Sunday, we're oftentimes pushing out and missed it types of posts, um, highlight video, news from our site. We have an entire website dedicated to editorial. So if there was anything coming off of the race written by our writers, it's really a good opportunity to push back to the site so more people can consume the content there. And so you mentioned about Nielsen and, and Twitter and measuring that. What are the metrics that you look at most when measuring the success of content that you're putting out? Are you looking at more reach or more engagement in terms of how many people saw it or how many people engaged with it? What do you use to really measure content? Sure. So it's it's a little, it's a multitude of things. It kind of depends on um, ultimately what our goals are. We always take into account a few things. Um, from just a, a social marketing team perspective, engagement huge. Um, how people are engaging and what they're engaging with is really important for us when we want to replicate things that worked. Um, we track every single thing that we do. We do weekly reports. We do monthly reports per platform. Um, we, we look at the top and bottom posts every month on each of our platforms. Um, the main reason being we want to make sure we're not, if we think we have a really fantastic idea, if you're not actually looking at seeing how it performs, it may not be a really fantastic idea. And oftentimes, really fantastic ideas take a lot of hard work and time um, to pull off. And so yeah. we want to make sure with engagement, first and foremost, if we don't have an engaged audience on social, especially with the changes fairly frequently in algorithms on Facebook and Twitter. And we really want to make sure if photos are no longer really having much of an engagement factor on Facebook, we need to figure out how to change that. So from just a straight um, social marketing perspective, engagement is still extremely key for us. Reach and impressions are really important when it comes to um, our overall marketing strategy. So when we're talking about, um, like this week, for example, we released um, the open of NASCAR and NBC coverage. So similar to what Carrie Underwood does for us for Sunday Night Football, that kind of uh, music video that rolls before our game, we did the same thing with uh, Blake Shelton um, that we released this week for the first time on digital. So this is the first time that we actually rolled this out socially. Um, so for that... Reach was really, really, really important. We wanted more people to see this. Blake Shelton not only is a country singer, but he's on The Voice. So he has tremendous reach outside of sports. The goal was to get this video in front of as many people as possible. We want a lot of people to share it because that gives it more reach. But for something like TuneIn, getting whatever piece of content we are trying to push in front of as many people as possible is the ultimate goal there. The last metric that we pay attention to the most as well are click-throughs back to the site. So um, oftentimes we will push out things, whether it's uh, a link back to a video or a video itself, a video view. Um, a lot of that is really another sort of business case where we have a tangible metric um, on how much traffic we're driving back to the site, which we can monetize, which ultimately will only make the case for the social team even better that we're sort of driving business goals. Yeah. So sometimes we'll, we'll put out a post back to the website and it'll get, you know, 100 or 200 likes on Facebook. And, and as a social team, you're sort of like, eh, 
that's not that great considering the the size of the audience we have. But then we'll look, that same post got 300,000 clicks back to the site. So that is where we sort of look, we kind of take ourselves out of the equation a little bit and say, on the surface, does this look like an engaging post? Not really. But 300,000 clicks back to the website, depending on what it is, could be 300,000 video views on an ad that's running in front of a piece of content, and that helps sales. So that's sort of the one that's a little less fun um, from a social perspective, but really important in um, when we kind of look at the success of what we're doing. Traffic back to the site is something that's super important for us, and, and a lot of um, time looking at the click, click-throughs is how we track that metric. I love that. And it sounds like it's it's based on what the goal of the particular piece of content is, whether it's pre or during or all of these pieces uh, is very, very important as well. And I love how you kind of isolate what, what the specific goal of the content is. So I really, really like that. Awesome. So, okay, Lindsay, you work in social media. Is it difficult to turn off when you're at home? Yes. I'm yes. actually, <laughs> I'm actually, <laughs> I think part of it is it's, the nature of the business, we are, we all work in social media, but then my additional layer is sports. So sports are typically on at night or on the weekends. Um, oftentimes we have stuff during the day too, but um, for the most part, your sports, your broadcast sports are on on the weekends. So it's always being on and so always responding to email. Um, I tried to disconnect. I went on my honeymoon a couple of years ago to Thailand, was really excited because the time change was going to be very drastic. It was, I couldn't do it. And I think that was like the one time everyone was sort of, everything was going to be fine. Nothing was going to not happen while I was gone. Um, but I think part of it is just nature of, of being attached to this kind of space for your job. And then a lot of what I like to read about and, and tweet about isn't really sports related. And so the only time for me to really connect with that kind of stuff is not when I'm at work. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's become sort of a thing. I would really love to be one of those people who can completely disconnect. I don't know that I'm there yet. And I think it would make <laughs> me a little bit crazy. It's not a bad yeah, it's, it is tough. And I, and I think the nature of just working in sports doesn't help either because I'm, I'm checking in on the weekends for work reasons, totally. which then by default can kind of just spiral into all of a sudden I've been on Twitter for three hours on a Sunday and, and don't really need to be. Yeah. Sports really never sleep. Actually, there's always something going on in sports. I know. Oy. All right, Linz, we are ready to play our most exciting game of season two. So I'm Love going it. to give you a couple of things. You're going to tell me whether they're likable, lovable, and loathable. You can elaborate on why, or you can just say your gut and we'll be ready to go. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. So this one's really interesting as it pertains to sports. I'm, I'm fascinated by what you think of Periscope, Meerkat, and the live streaming movement. Oof. Mm -hmm. That is a tough one. It's hard for sports, That's right? That's really hard for sports. So... Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with likable. Mm -hmm. um, I think there, what's I think wonderful about Periscope Meerkat live streaming is that regular fans have the ability to not only have very easy tools to use to document their sports experiences, but they also, like we, like I had mentioned with the, um, the Dale Jr. Periscope Q&A, you actually have access to people in more in a more, I guess, uh, like face-to-face -face way than even like a Twitter Q&A or Facebook chat. Um, 
on the why I wouldn't say lovable is on the flip side of that, we pay a lot of money for the live streaming rights to properties. Um, And so protecting that is critical for our business. And so I think where it gets a little bit less lovable, and I definitely wouldn't say loathable because I do think it's a, it's a great opportunity for a lot of different things. Um, but I do but it's a huge challenge. Like, like having someone, I think you, you saw it if you read it all about the, the um, Pacquiao Mayweather fight, yes. having someone periscoping an entire fight that, you know, Showtime is charging yeah. for, yep. that's, that's a, an issue. Yeah. Do you think that they're, I, I think they're going to have to focus around piracy around this because there's no way they're going to allow that to continue and it's running rampant right now. Yeah. And so that's where I think that's as a as a sports broadcast employee, that's the one yes. thing I think which makes it not lovable in that I think there are a lot of rules that aren't really defined yet um, yep. that we're going to have to work through. But I think as a tool and the access that you can get and all the periphery things that you can do with Periscope and Meerkat, I think are awesome and they give you more insight into these sports and ultimately, honestly, would probably drive more buzz to your sport anyway. Yep. Um, I do like that side of it as well. I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Okay. Selfie sticks. Oh, God. Loathable. I can't. You made them especially at sports. <laughs> can't do it. Are impossible. Oh, I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to have an open mind, <laughs> but I just, I can't do it. I'm not on board at all. Um, I love a good selfie. I think a selfie is perfect at arm's length. I think there are timers on phones. I also think you could even go old school and, God forbid, ask someone to take your that photo. Sure. Um, loathable. Can't do it. I love it. I like that strong stance. <laughs> okay, and finally, this last one is just for you because we know that probably by the time this airs, you will have a new member of your family, correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how do you feel about friends that post lots of baby pictures? Um, you know, I think, I think likable on that one. I think I'm cool with the the pictures. I actually love pictures of babies. I I have a dog who's 12 years old who is my Mm -hmm. first baby. I will not, I don't even want to come out and say what I, like how many pictures I'll post of my own child that, you know, by the time this airs will be born. Um, But I think when we get a little on the loathable side is, is when it's, and this is not just friends with babies. This is people on the internet of just we're into a TMI situation. I'm not really super concerned with, you know, where your baby pooped today or those kinds of things. Just cute baby pictures are good. I think people, yeah, I think baby pictures are fine. I think a lot of moms get lumped into this kind of TMI bucket, which becomes a a loathable thing. Um, But it's likable. I enjoy seeing, it's a a good way to keep up with a lot of the the babies in my life that I don't get to see in person. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I would say lovable, but I think that you're correct. I don't like when they post every single picture, like post an artfully beautiful, but capture the smile and post it. I don't need to see blurry pictures of your child running. (laughs) Right. I don't. I just don't. Okay, good. So I love that. And Lindsay, thank you so much. You were chock full of advice today and a great guest and truly a wonderful social lady. And good luck giving birth to our future social lady uh, coming to us soon. It's very exciting. Thanks. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. You know what? Who knows? Maybe I'll disconnect. 
Yes, we'll see. I just had one and I was I was not disconnected. I was not disconnected. I did for a little while, a little bit, but you know, they sleep a lot in the beginning. So Right, that's, that's true. What am I you supposed know, to do with my time? Exactly. Other than keeping this keeping this baby alive and exactly and flourishing. You feed them, you put them to bed, you burp them. It's basically you change their diaper. That's basically it. <laughs> for the first, for the first month at least, you're gonna love it. Piece of cake. Wonderful. Sounds sounds amazing. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, where should people follow you? Um, I am at, at Lindsay Signor, L-Y-N-D-S-A-Y-S-I-G-N-O-R. Awesome. On Twitter. Follow Lindsay at Lindsay Signor. And also be sure to check out NBC Sports. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, Sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likable.com. This week's episode is brought to you by the Social Fresh Conference. You can visit them at socialfreshconference.com and book your ticket today. Social Fresh's conference is where the world's leading social marketers get inspired. And today I have a special offer for you to save $50. The code to enter is ATSL. That's ATSL as in all the social ladies. I'll be down there recording live and I look forward to seeing you. It's a killer conference.